Ramp Takeoff 2022 is a go. Coverage presented by 72 Sold and Kona Brewing. Burns and Gambo on 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Five o'clock hour of the Burns and Gambo show. Happy Tuesday to you. And again, a uh, big thank you to everybody who has contributed so far in our Give-a-thon, Give-a-thon for Phoenix Children's Hospital. It continues throughout the course of the day and we'll uh, tell more stories a little later on in the hour about why we think you should give to PCH. But for now, we turn our attention back to the Cardinals. And um, in what will probably not surprise a whole lot of people, the Arizona Cardinals spending and how they choose to allocate their dollars under the cap. Offense compared to defense. I don't think anybody's going to be surprised to hear that the Arizona Cardinals are sixth when it comes to spending their cap dollars on the offense and 21st in the NFL when it comes to spending their cap dollars on the defense. But I like to compare it to the other teams. So the Cardinals are sixth, a little bit over $111 million on the offense. The Rams are 27th. Only $85 million on the cap spent on their offense. The 49ers, by the way, are ninth at $108 million. I'd have to look at that because I would imagine Garoppolo was counting for some of that as well. Defensively, Arizona's 21st at $84 million. The Rams are 8th at $102 million. The 49ers are 12th. So the Cardinals spend less money on their defense than the Rams and the 49ers, but they spend more money on their offense than the Rams and the 49ers. I'm looking at at the whole list, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to decide if there's any kind of trend. Like, are, are, do the better teams spend on defense? Do the better teams spend on offense? And so I'm looking at the whole list, and not just where the Cardinals are. Here, here are the top ten teams that that are spending on offense this year. Are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, the Lions are number one. The Titans are number two. The Commanders, the Patriots, the Cowboys, the 49ers, yeah, the Jets. The Vikings, see where I'm going with this? Yeah, but a lot of it has to do with, okay, Jared Goff is $31 million of that Lions money. Mm-hmm. $31 million. Carson Wentz is $28 million of that Washington money. There's, you know, there's only one other guy over $10 million. Would you say Tennessee was third? Tennessee was second. Suck it. $38 million plus on Ryan Tannehill. Right. $38 million on Ryan Tannehill. So a lot of it just has to come, come down to that. Even San Francisco, you look at San Francisco, right? Just click on San Francisco. Garoppolo's $26 million. You take Garoppolo off that roster, your highest paid player is Trent Williams at 13, a little bit under $14 million. That's your highest paid guy. So it's really, it's, it's interesting to not only look at the numbers, but then see how that money is spent. Yeah. How they're getting there, how they're spending those dollars. Defensively, uh, you, you've got the Steelers one, the Jets two, the Bengals four, the Chargers five, the Colts six, the Bills seven, the Rams eight, et cetera, et cetera. I, there's, not, there's not like a discernible, okay, all of the best teams, they're on the defensive side. All of the best teams, they're on the offensive side. It's, it's kind of scattered. It's all over. And, and you're right. It really just depends on situationally. See the Rams, why are they in the top? Top 10 on defense, they got Aaron Donald. Right. They got Jalen Ramsey. Those, and those two guys are the majority of it. Yeah. Those, like, that's just those two. Like, you look at the Steelers, the Steelers spend the most money. Yeah, TJ Watts on, on the cap for $31 million. He's getting paid like a quarterback. Yeah. TJ Watts getting paid like a quarterback. Now, that that's be, why. That being said, it's not a surprise to me, like I said, that the Cardinals spend more on their offense than they do on their defense. It's not a surprise to me they rank higher on their cap spending offensively than they do defensively. They've got an offensive minded head coach. They 
They've got a quarterback that they obviously were taking advantage of his rookie contract by surrounding him with high-priced talent. You know, DeAndre Hopkins certainly comes to mind, et cetera, et cetera. But I do also think that there is a case to be made that the Cardinals aren't getting the bang for their buck offensively that they should. If they're going to be six in the NFL and cap dollars spent on their offense, I don't know if they've reached the maximum value of their money on their offense. We could look at all sorts of advanced analytics on the offense, and some of them would back up my point, and some of them would refute my point. But in the very basic stats of yards per game and points per game, the Cardinals last year, I think, were 11th in yards per game and like 8th in points per No, it was the other way around. I'm sorry. Eighth in yards. Eighth in yards, 11th in points. I mean, they're close to what they're spending. Close. Close. It's not like there's this big disparity. I mean, they have a very talented offense. They had a couple of clunkers last year, which probably contributed to that. But overall, I mean, they have a dynamic offense. Hopkins went out. It changed everything. I mean, where were they when Hopkins went out? They were probably a lot higher because yes. they struggled yes. after DeAndre Hopkins went out. They really struggled. Kyler Murray never found a connection with any single player player on that roster when Hopkins was out. It was a chore for him. It became difficult. And then Murray was kind of dealing with a little bit of an ankle injury and so wasn't running as much towards the end of the season. So that kind of factored in. So I think there are factors with it. But three of the top five guys that they pay on the cap are on their offensive line. So three of those guys are on the offensive line. It's not wide receivers and tight ends, and it's it's three of them are offensive line guys. Sheer necessity because they never draft offensive linemen, right? So they they have to pay those guys. They hardly ever draft offensive linemen. They have to pay guys from outside organizations, and that ain't cheap. Justin Pugh wasn't cheap. Rodney Hudson wasn't cheap. You know those guys got to spend on them to get them here because they haven't done a good job at all of developing with the outside of DJ of developing within their own system of offensive linemen. They draft because they never draft any. They hardly ever. Draft offensive linemen. They've hardly drafted any over the last few years. Yeah, so. if you draft offensive linemen, you're going to get them. You know, especially if you get second or third rounders, they're going to be they're going to be cheap. They're going to be you know cheap for a while. You're not they're not going to count big dollars. So if you've got if you've got a young offense, a couple of young offensive linemen that weren't you know say first round picks, that were second round picks or third round picks, you can really take advantage of that and use that money elsewhere. I know. Look, I, I don't have the stats to back this up. I'm just going with just perceptually now. Perceptually, that offense. Always, the last couple of years, always makes me feel like they could do just a little bit more. And maybe every team feels that way. Maybe every fan well, maybe base feels kinda, that way. But I, I, when maybe you, you feel like they have to do more to win. Um, Not that they need to do more, but they have to because they're just so geared towards outscoring opponents. Okay, I think that's, I would agree. That's part of it. Yeah, that like they're, it's reliant on them. Like if you're going to win football games, it's going to be because of your offense. And I think part of it too is Cliff. I mean, Cliff's this quote-unquote offensive guru and offensive gurus, you know, should put up a lot of points and should command yeah. an offense. Yeah. There are times where I feel like, and I get the hop injury, there are times I felt like they didn't do that last year. Well, the way they're built... Or I have the last couple of years, I should say. Yeah, I think where you're going here, and I don't disagree with it at all, is like, it's so, like... It, it, it's 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 good that they have a good offense, but they need to be great. Like their offense is predicated on them being a great offense to win football games. You know that's how they brought in the coach and the quarterback, and they they signed the running back to a lot of money, and they traded for a wide receiver, and they have Hopkins. They traded for Hopkins. They traded for for Brown. They traded for Ertz. It's like they're geared to be a great offense. Good is not good enough. Agreed. Texas, your thoughts? The FanDuel text line open for you right now at six twenty six twenty. Now when we come back, cut down day. 
still a couple of weeks away, but with each preseason game, we get somewhat of a clearer idea what the Cardinals might do. It's complicated, and we'll tell you why next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Camp Takeoff 2022 is a go. Coverage presented by 72 Sold and Kona Brewing. Burns and Gambo on 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Kyler Murray today confirmed he will not be playing in the preseason. Um, he also spoke a little bit about maybe one of these days when he's done playing, considering coaching. Of course, he's getting a lot of attention for <laughs> calling the plays. What do you call six plays in the fourth uh, quarter of Friday's game? He'll probably call some more, I would imagine, against Baltimore and against Tennessee in the last two preseason. If he's not going to play, everybody's worried about baseball. It's really coaching you got to worry about. <laughs> Who would have thunk it, right? He says he wants to play until he can't, but he would consider coaching. Coaching at some point. Isn't that most guys' goal? I want to play until I can't. Pretty much. Yeah, because it's. Until so they rip the jersey off of me until I, I can't to, play anymore. Uh, yeah, I love the game that much. It's either I love the game that much or I want to get paid doing this as long mm-hmm. as I possibly can. And in some cases, it's a combination of the two of them. So, no Kyler, which is not a surprise. I, I, I think it'd be a it's surprise if, for most of the starters if we see any of them in the preseason. I mean, we might get through this. Fine China, my friend. Fine China. I totally agree. We might get through this, and mm-hmm. the only potential starters we see play in the preseason are Marco Wilson, Will Hernandez, uh, Zayvon Collins, and who's the other? Who's he? Marco Wilson, Zavin, Zavin Will Hernandez. There's one other. I can't remember who, but, but that's it. It might be that that's all. Who else, Eric? Am I forgetting somebody? Dennis Gardex played? Dennis Gardex, thank you. He's the other one. Those are the only four. It, we might get to the end, and those are the only four who play. Now, you might well, hear yeah, that. Third, that third game is completely meaningless. Oh, I know. That's the fourth game now. That's the new fourth game. Yeah, and that's why I think that you can trade. You know, if a trade comes down, I think it'll happen, you know, early next week. Because now teams are like, you know, most teams, okay, let me get through camp. I'll trade you this guy as long as none of my other guys get injured. Nobody wants to trade today. Although there was a trade, right? There was a Philly and Seattle made a trade, player for player trade. Yeah. But there was a trade player for player. But if you're going to trade a draft pick for a player, that team wants to make sure that 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 their depth doesn't suffer any injuries, then they'll trade. So, But I think after the second preseason game, you're like, okay, you know, I, I'm good. Nobody's going to get hurt in a preseason game now because nobody's playing in a third preseason game. And you can likely make a trade. I remember that from last year. The preseason game number three was like the new preseason game number four where nobody ever plays. And, right. and I, I assume it's going to be mostly that way. But that doesn't mean these things are meaningless. Certainly these games aren't meaningless to Victor Dibakeji, who played really well Friday night, obviously, and it, it is you start looking at the numbers and you start figuring out how many linebackers the Cardinals are going to keep, and you understand that these games are very, very important to him, right? They matter when it comes to the decisions of how many guys are going to be in that linebacking room. There's no question when you look at the numbers and you say, okay, how many are they going to keep? Are they going to keep eight guys? Or are they going to keep nine guys? And you start to go through it a little bit, and that's why that, that play last week with the two sacks by the former sixth round pick out of Duke was a big day for him because I look at the I look at the linebackers and I'm going through it. Okay, here's your outside linebackers. Dennis Gardecki's going to make the team. Majai Sanders is going to make the team. Cameron Thomas is going to make the team. Yep. Marcus Golden is going to make the team. That's four. That's four outside linebackers. Say you keep five. Now you got Demu Kaji, you got Jesse Lucetta, and you got Devon Kennard, mm-hmm. all battling for potentially one spot. You look at the inside linebackers. You got Isaiah Simmons. Going to make the team. You got Nick Vigil going to make the team. Zayvon Collins going to make the team. Zeke 
Turner's going to make the team. And then you've got Joe Walker, Charles Wooden, and Ben Neiman. None of those guys may make the team. Because if they keep five outside linebackers and four inside guys, that's nine. You're not going to keep more than nine, I don't think. So, you know, that's where you start to look at, you know, that's why that, 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 was, big, that was big by DiMuchese sure. to come up and kind of show, hey, listen, I, I worked hard. I'm stronger than I've ever been. Don't discount me. I can help. Look, if it's eight or nine, okay, if it's eight, you've got eight guys who are pretty much locked in right now. You mentioned them. Gardeck, Sanders, Thomas, and Golden, okay, locked. Zavin, Vigil, Isaiah, and Zeke Turner, likely all locked. That's eight. That's eight right there. So if you keep more than that, you know, if you keep nine, that's where that's where Debo KG needs these games, needs needs moments like this to be able to stand yeah, make, out. Make them make them keep nine because you played so well that they want to keep five outside linebackers. Yeah. Because you could beat out Jesse Lucata, you could beat out Kennard. Um, but and, and just to stop you here. Yeah. We're assuming and this is a dumb question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. That they're counting Isaiah as a linebacker? Yes. When, when they count, yes. when they do their final head count, and we're, okay, we're keeping this many of that position and that yeah. many of this position, yeah. they're counting Isaiah Simmons as a linebacker. I, I mean, I am. Okay. I mean, I've got him counted as a linebacker. I don't know what they're going to do, but I would assume that he's going to get most of his snaps at, at a linebacker spot. You know, I don't think they're going to, now, you, you know, however they do it, but that's why I've got nine. I've got, I've got the inside linebackers as Zayvon Isaiah, Nick Vigil, and Zeke Turner. And then other guys, you know, Walker, Wooten, and Neiman battling to see if they can, you know, find a way into the mix somehow. But like, so like I could see Kennard getting cut because Demukeji plays well. Yeah. Maybe they make a trade. I mean, maybe it's possible they make a trade, get a seventh round pick or a sixth round pick for somebody. But that's why it's interesting that Demukeji played so well because like that, this is where he could really earn a roster spot on this team. Hey, you know, a lot of times, you know, I mean, six round picks, you're in the league the one year, the next year you get cut. <laughs> you know, because oh, it's, sure. just, it's hard to, you're a six round pick, you don't get much play in time, but he's worked really, really hard. And I think that he's kind of made, you know, made a little bit of an impression on everybody after that two sack outing. And of course there are others, Greg Dorch at the wide receiver position, and I'm sure we'll look at those numbers over the course of time. Another one that stands out is, and I know it's just quote unquote the third string quarterback, but if you have any designs of one day of Trace McSorley being your backup quarterback to Kyler Murray, keeping him on the roster to make sure he's in a position to do that is going to require some finagling, especially every time he goes out and plays well. That might be a team out there that wants him to be their backup if you have to get him on the practice squad. They've had three guys on the 53-man before. Remember with Hunley and Strebler? They've had it. The thing is, if you you have a guy on your 50... If you have a third-string quarterback on your 53-man roster, it doesn't mean you have to dress. You only dress 46 guys. That guy doesn't have to dress on game day, but it does protect him from anybody else grabbing him. You know, last year, the Cardinals put a claim in on a quarterback from Kansas City, a guy named Shane Buchel, uh, who they played in their first preseason game last year. The Chiefs had him on the practice squad, but they, they then put him on their active roster so the Cardinals wouldn't get him. And remember last year, the Cardinals got McSorley off of the Ravens practice squad and then cut Strebler. So yeah. if you got a guy in a practice squad, then anybody else can grab him. So that's the question if you really like McSorley. And I don't know if they do or not. 
you know, you'd probably want to keep him on a 53-man roster, but that would be three quarterbacks, and that would take a roster spot away from another position. And look, no one's going to sit here and make the case that Trace McSorley is essential personnel for them winning and losing in 2022. Don't kid yourself. He's not. No, it's he's, about he's, he's not. the it's, future. It's about the future. And it's about one day when Colt McCoy's not your backup, do you feel like Trace McSorley is best suited to be your backup and protecting him from somebody coming along and poaching him, taking him away from you. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, this news just coming down right now, and it, it's not good news in Seattle. Drew Locke has tested positive for COVID-19. He's not going to play Thursday against Chicago. He had just been elevated to the number one quarterback taking snaps at practice. That's great in news that for Seattle with Geno fans. Smith. That is great news for Seattle fans. Because it means Geno Smith will be the quarterback well, and they'll lose. What did I say yesterday? Whoever the loser is in that quarterback battle should be the starter. <laughs> you want to lose games if you're yeah. Seattle. I was you want that high draft pick. Just a minute ago about how Drew Locke, man, he, he's, been, he's been working with the number ones in practice and maybe he's the guy. He played better in preseason game number one. He comes down with COVID. He's not going to play Thursday wow. against the Bears. I, now, that doesn't mean he can't no, get the job later. Of course he can. It's but not kind of what the, they don't they don't keep you out like they used to, right? I mean, Murray no. had COVID. I yeah. mean, uh, he'll, he'll, he could play in the third preseason game. If he, he'd probably be back in time for the third preseason game. That's good, Mitch. I appreciate that. You should thank them. That's where you got your quarterback from, you Bronco fan, you. That's true. They can keep him. You should be eternally grateful to the CLC Hawks. We want to tell you more about the great people at Phoenix Children's Hospital. You'll find out how much money so far everybody has donated today and your opportunity to donate even more next on the Burns and Gambo Show. The Giveathon for Phoenix Children's is presented by your Valley Hyundai dealers and the auction Indian community. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station in the Arizona Sports app. Giveathon on the Burns and Gambo Show. James in Peoria, $800. Dorothea in Mesa became a champion of hope. Alfred in Chandler, Brent in Scottsdale. All became champions of hope. Lisa in Phoenix became a champion of hope. $20 a month. I, I, I we Trust me, we get it. We understand inflation and the economy and everything like that. Yep. And certainly we would encourage you to give what you can give. But if you have the opportunity for Phoenix Children's Hospital, to become a champion of hope, $20 a month. That's what we're asking. $20 a month. And we'll donate, we'll give a teddy bear in your name, will be delivered to a child who's at that hospital right now. And when you, we, we drive by it every day, and every time we drive by it, we think to myself, man, Miracles happen in that building every single day, right? Yeah. I mean, the doctors and the nurses and the therapists, miracles happen in that building every single day. And that's just the main campus, right? They've also got a Phoenix Children's East Valley, a Dignity Health Mercy Gilbert Medical Center. They've got four specialty and urgent care centers, 12 community pediatric practices, 20 outpatient specialty clinics. They've got 38 sites of services across Arizona. Yeah, it is the main branch, and we, you know, a 
lot happens there. That's where a lot of miracles do happen. Treating everything from cancer and heart defects to epilepsy and cystic fibrosis and just helping children one at a time to give them a fighting chance. And that's what we're asking. And that's all we're asking from you today is that hoping you can help out. We do this every year. We're so honored to be able to do this for Phoenix Children's Hospital. And we really hope you will participate in this by calling the Desert Financial Phone Bank. 602-933-4567. 602-933-4567 is the number. Call, become a champion of hope. Donate what you can donate. How big, how small. We hope you can help, and we hope you can get involved, like many of our great sponsors and partners have as well. And for this check presentation, we welcome our friends from Fry's Food Stores. Hi, my name is Pam Giannotti, and I'm the Corporate Affairs Manager for Fry's Food Stores. We are so very excited to be part of this year's Give-A-Thon. We have been a proud partner of Phoenix Children's for many years. Therefore, we are honored to be able to present this check in the amount of $10,000. On behalf of Fry's Food Stores and its more than 21,000 associates, thank you, Phoenix Children's, for being there for our community, providing world-class care, because when it comes to the future of our children, moments count. Thank you. Pam Giannotti. I usually do those check presentations with Pam from Fry's. I remember that. Yeah. Back when we used to be at the hospital, I do, mm. I do remember that. Mm. Pam, we thank you. We thank Fry's Food Stores. $10,000 $10,000. How about that? That's fantastic. We Great donation. It. You can get involved, too. You can text GIVE to 62620. Or, again, you can call the Desert Financial Credit Union Phone Bank at 602-933-4567. Why do we do this? Why does Phoenix Children's Hospital matter so much? It's time for another story of hope, and it's presented by Madame Holmes, and it's a story about Layla. Imagine being a labor nurse who works around moms and newborns for a living. Now imagine being a labor nurse who happens to be pregnant when at 24 weeks you become terribly sick and life immediately changes for you and your baby. This is Layla's story. I'm Paula. And I'm Tony, and this is Layla's story. It was absolutely, perfectly normal pregnancy. And then, it just like out of the blue, I got really sick and wound up having her. I believe kids ought to stay kids as long as they can. Turn off the screen, go climb a tree, get dirt on their hands. It all happened so fast. I got there at 2 o'clock and she was born at 5. You know, me as a labor nurse knows that a 24-weeker is not good. There's a lot of issues 24-weekers can have when they're born. I really didn't know what was the possibilities of things going wrong until I she told explained them. it to me. We literally didn't think that she was going to make it. Most 24-weekers don't have very good outcomes. The nurse practitioner tried three times to intubate her, and I begged her and started crying just to save her. And they tried one more time, and she was actually able to intubate her that last time. That first night was very hard. Not knowing if she's going to live or die, never knowing if I got to hold her before that happened. It was very, very rough. 
Monday after she was born, we sat down with the neurologist. They explained that she had the grade four brain bleed on one side and a grade two on the other side, that, you know, there's a possibility that she may never walk or talk. That's when they gave us the option if we were going to keep her on life support or take her off life support. So we sat as long as she wasn't suffering and she wasn't in pain and she wasn't hurting, that we wanted to do everything possible for her. And she's here today. (laughs) We got to bring our baby home finally after 115 days. But with a 24-weeker, your journey is never going to be over. They have lifelong medical issues. It's, like they say, a roller coaster. I believe most people are good and most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. The biggest hurdle for her is, is what kind of future is she going to have? I want her to be just like her sister and not have to worry about anything but being a kid. Our new normal is to whatever's going to help her live a happy, healthy life. Do I think the roller coaster is over? No. Do I think that we're in great hands with PCH for whatever else arises? Absolutely. Every hurdle that we've gone through, they could help us at PCH, and they have made it as easy as possible for us to go through all these challenges. It's not like going to a normal hospital, like we were driving on the way here, and she actually wanted to go to PCH, her hospital. They treat you like their family. I believe most people are good, and most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. She thinks of PCH as her hospital, and she's not scared of it. They've helped us through our struggle and then some. I know that there'll be a next challenge. I'm not unrealistic to think that there's not going to be with her, but we're ready for whatever challenge comes next because we know that we are in good hands with them. If it wasn't for them, our daughter wouldn't be where she is today. I believe most people are good. Four months. Ooh, 115, 115 days. days. It's nearly four months before they got to take her home. Yeah, got to take that baby home, though. How great was that? They told, they told us, may not walk, may not talk. She's on life support. Yeah. You know? What do you want to do? She's on life support. Well, you know what? As long as she's comfortable, let's uh, let's give her a chance. And they gave her a chance, and she went, she got to go home. She actually wants to go to PCH. I mean, like, that's her hospital. The, the, the word that you keep hearing over and over again, and we've played many of these vignettes through two days of raising money for Phoenix Children's is family. You, you hear that a lot from the moms and the dads and the kids that, that at Phoenix Children's they treat you like family, like they're a part of your family and with that, with that, not only the quality of care, but with the empathy of what you're going through, understanding that these moms and dads are dealing with some of the toughest decisions and the toughest part of their life that they'll ever have to deal with in their entire life, right? And they, they have an understanding of that at the hospital and they know how to treat people when they're going through some of the very hardest moments of their entire life. Listen, and that's, you know, God forbid, but if anybody out there, that, that's what you want. If, if anything happens to your child, you want that level of care. No doubt. For your child or somebody you may know, a relative, a friend, just anybody. So that's why it's just so important to do these fundraisers and and uh, and, and to give a thought and give back to the Phoenix Children's right, Hospital. Let's gear it up. It's time for a match right now from Discover. Discover right now is matching every donation 
we get dollar for dollar on the Desert Financial Phone Bank, 602-933-4567. 602-933-4567 is the number. Become a champion of hope, $20 a month. Your $20 a month becomes $40 a month thanks to the match going on right now from Discover. And when you become a champion of hope, we will take a teddy bear in your name and we will deliver it to one of the kids at the hospital right now. I'm going to tell you, the smile on their face when they get to hug that teddy bear is just priceless. I've seen it. Bernsey's seen it. It makes such a difference. Give a child at that hospital a bear today. Call 602-933-4567. Become a champion of hope. $20 a month. And we're in a match. Matches from Discover. The phone number is 602-933-4567. We've already gotten several calls coming in, which means we can fire up the train Teddy Bear Express and we can send it upstairs right now. We're on the phone with the hospital letting them know they can deliver some teddy bears thanks to the donations that we've received so far during this match. Brought to you by Discover, the train Teddy Bear Express is on the way upstairs right now. All right, this is our last segment of the day for Phoenix Children's Hospital. And because it's the last one of the day, it's time to get an update on the tote board. You ready to find out how we've done so far? so ready. Roll it. So far through two days of our give-a-thon, you have donated and we have raised... Five hundred and seventy-eight thousand five hundred and seventy-five dollars. Nearly How about that. Five hundred and eighty thousand dollars have been raised so far for Phoenix children. We are on our way. We'll continue this through the end of the week. Yes, we will. Thank you for donating. Please stay on the line. I promise you, somebody will be able to pick up your phone, phone call, and make that donation. And the match continues through the end of our next break. When we come back here on Burns and Gambo, we got some Diamondbacks baseball coming up, including a guy who actually got mentioned in a Cy Young Award article today. We'll tell you about that next on the Burns and Gambo Show. The home of Arizona Diamondbacks baseball is 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. We're checking in on the D-backs as they warm up for the game's first pitch. D-backs on deck, brought to you by 72 Sold. Get thousands more on your home with no inconvenience. Visit 72sold.com and buy Sonic. This is how we Sonic. Stop by your nearest location today for the Sonic Grilled Cheese Double Burger for a limited time, only at Sonic. Diamondbacks baseball coming up next here on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station is the D-backs. Losers last night by a score of 6-1 to of San Francisco. Taking on the Giants again tonight. Pre-game coverage coming up as soon as we're off the air at 6. First pitch is at 6.45. Your pitching matchup for tonight's game is brought to you by Native Interiors. Your home, your way. Let Native Interiors, the flooring experts, match up your vision to your reality. Text the word FLOORS to 620-620. Jacob Junis gets the start for the Giants. He's 4-3 and three with a 3-7-8 ERA. Merrill Kelly, the righty, gets the start for the Arizona Diamondbacks. 10-5, 2.95 ERA. And in a story today on ESPN.com, handicapping the various races, AL MVP, NL uh, Cy Young Award, Merrill Kelly was actually listed ninth in their top 10 in terms of Cy Young candidates. Obviously, he's not going to win it, but just to 
to be on a list like that is got to be an eyebrow-raising moment for Merrill Kelly, I'm sure. Well, and, and you know, you look at some of the best moves that Mike Hazen has made. That's one of them. I mean, plucking Merrill Kelly out of, what was he, Japan? Korea. Korea, excuse me, Korea to come pitch. I mean, amazing. Uh, now, last outing, you remember that last outing, he did not get to that uh, the, the six innings. He did not get to, uh, he gave up uh, four hits, three runs in five innings in that last outing. Jacob Junis, by the way, got rocked in his last outing against the Padres. So you didn't get the quality start from Merrill Kelly, and he's so good at those quality starts, but you did not get that the last time out. So I expect today he'll be back on track. Yeah, and despite that, a 1.67 ERA in four starts since the All-Star break. He has been, you know, big picture, just fantastic for the last two months or so of the season. And again, think about that. 1.67 Yeah, since the All-Star break. And again, no one's going to confuse him with like a legit Cy Young Award candidate, but obviously they're they're basically ranking the guys who have been the 10 best pitchers in the National League this year, and Merrill Kelly kind of made that list, the bottom end of that list. Good for him. Good on him for doing that. Yeah, listen, I mean, again, the Diamondbacks valued him a lot more than other teams did at the trade deadline. They didn't trade him. They're going to hold on to him. They're going to keep him. You need pitchers like this. You want to turn the corner. You want to win games. I'm glad they held on to him. Last night, Diamondbacks lost 6-1. to one. Mad bum. His ERA over his last four starts, 7.33. Even he has, this is a quote he gave to MLB.com over the weekend. He described himself as the quote-unquote weak link in the Diamondbacks rotation. Yes, I agree. Sounded dejected <laughs> again last night. It's been a really rough stretch for him lately. Well, I mean, you just look at it. What does he got? What's he got? Is it 13 losses now He's in got the season? 12 losses 12 on the losses. season. His career high for losses in a season is 13. That's what it is, yeah. And that goes back to his first full season in the bigs yeah, 10 years I ago. Mean, he's going to top that. He's just, listen, he's just not, he's not a good pitcher anymore. He's not, you know, to me, he's not even a, a three, a top three pitcher on the Diamondbacks rotation. Clearly, Gallon's your one and Merrill Kelly's your two. And I'm starting to look at Tommy Henry saying, could he be their three? Could, could he be? You know, it was interesting to see Alex Young come into the game last night for the Giants, get a big strikeout uh, into the game. The former D-back, I was watching the game last night, and Alex Young, I'm like, oh, that's where Alex Young is. Mm-hmm. So with the Giants came in, and he got uh, he got a strikeout in a big spot right there. But yeah, I, I mean, I look at Bumgarner going going forward, and I think, listen, I, I don't I don't think you're gonna buy him out because he's still kind of good enough to you know to hold on to as a number four starter. But again, I don't think he's good enough to pencil him in and say this guy's got to be one of my top three starters. I don't think he's good enough to be a top three starter anymore. Yeah, I don't even know if, who I would pick to be the number three starter in terms of the top three starters. He's got it certainly in name recognition by performance. You know, Henry's got a long way to go. It's only been three starts. It's it's been you know Mad Bum and getting him fixed and you know how much longer. You like you say not going to be a buyout candidate. Is there a possibility of trading him in the offseason? Is there a possibility of trading him at the deadline next year? I I don't know. We'll see. Your MLB standings and they're driven by trucks only. The Valley's number one independent dealer and home of the lifetime engine warranty. Diamondbacks are 53 and 62, nine games below 500, five games back of the San Francisco Giants if the goal is to finish higher than fourth or fifth in this division. They've got some work to do against San Francisco, who's 58 
eight and fifty seven so far on the season. The playoff races, by the way, right now if the season were to end today, the Dodgers and the Mets would have the buys in the National League. Um, the Houston and the Yankees would have them in the American Yankees League. Yankees can score runs. They are struggling they cannot score runs. right now. No, it can't score. Yeah. The offense has completely disappeared. I mean, they've got no offense at all. Pitching's been fine. It's just the offense is they, they get no run support. So they're in a, they're in a tremendous funk. I think Giancarlo Stanton's going to be coming back into the lineup for them. Able that, you know, they got rid of Joey Gallo. You thought that would help. Um, he actually hasn't been terrible for the Dodgers, but the Yankees offense has not been good. On the farm, and it's brought to you by Redbird Farms. You can't put a price on great tastes. Amarillo, the sod poodles, gamble favorite. They are beating Midland right now by a score of 8-2 to two in the 5th. So, a big night for Amarillo and the Sod Poodles. Later tonight, Visalia is in action against Fresno. Reno is taking on Salt Lake. The Hillsborough Hops taking on Eugene. The Hillsborough Hops, I should say, taking on Eugene. And then one other and note. the Hop? Is that at the Hop? It's, it's, at, the, it's at, the at the Hop. hop. Yeah, the Hops are at the Hop. One other note uh, from the farm system. Today, ESPN came out with their re-rankings of the top prospects in the game. Number one. Corbin Carroll, yeah. number one, just like The Athletic did a couple of weeks ago. MLB Pipeline has him as number two overall. Fangraphs, three. The Athletic, one. ESPN, one. I think the Mets are calling up one of their top prospects tomorrow. I think Corbin Carroll, again, I'll continue to say it. I expect a September call-up. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that for sure. Let's get you a key to tonight's game. Listen, man, I need you to be the key master. I am the key master. Yeah. Keys to the Game, presented by Mist America, home of the patented Mist 360 outdoor cooling system. Visit MistAmerica.com today for a cooler tomorrow. Go with the eighth hitter in the lineup, Joey Bart. Look at that batting average, just 233, but it wasn't 156. This is a guy that came in with Rookie of the Year aspirations. Joey Bart has five multi-hit games in his last seven, 14 hits in his last 29 at-bats. He's batting three. 333 since the All-Star break. He has raised his average from 156 to 233. He has been terrific for them, so watch out for that Joey Bart li- uh, bat in the lineup. One other note from the Diamondbacks. We had Troy Lovello on earlier today, and he suggested to us that in all likelihood, Nick Ahmed is done for the season. Yes. Had shoulder surgery in June. Thought he might be able to come back in September, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. It's going to do it for us. We're out of here. We're going to see you tomorrow straight up 2 o'clock right here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Have a great night, everyone. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.